You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. You know, we are people of time, and so when we think of time and space and the way things work, it's always in a linear sense, A to B, first to second, uh, this before that. And so, for instance, when we expect God to work in, let's say, a broken relationship of ours, in a relationship that we have with someone else, we might expect God to work in that person first, especially if we think that they were the offender. And so we would hope and expect that God would work in that person first, soften their hearts first, awaken their conscience first, and then after God's done his business with that person, that person would then kind of approach us, and they would kind of want reconciliation because, again, God worked in their lives and their hearts. And then after they've approached us seeking reconciliation, then, then God would start to work in our lives. But that's not how God works. He doesn't start with just one person and then trickle on to the next person like that. God is actually quite multi-talented, okay? He, he's a multitasker. I, I can't multitask. How many of you guys can multitask? Can you raise your hand? I'm assuming most of the women are raising their hands, right? I can't, I can't multitask. Ask my wife. That's why she knows never to strike up a conversation with me while I'm driving. Seriously, because then we'll find ourselves in a completely different part of town, totally opposite of our intended destination, all because I can barely walk and chew gum at the same time. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because we need to understand that's what our text is talking about today. Last week, we saw God working in the lives of Joseph's brothers. Remember, God in his infinite love and mercy and wisdom, he never quit on those guys. Man, if my brothers did that to me, I would quit on them. I would abandon them. But God, he never quit on those wretched brothers of Joseph. Instead of condemning them and damning them to hell, God used Joseph to awaken their consciences, to bring them to repentance, and to begin the process of reconciliation so that he can fully restore them back to him. But as he's doing that, at the very same time, God was also working elsewhere, elsewhere and in someone else. He was working also in their father, Jacob. Jacob was in a similar circumstance, but he kind of had different needs. And so God worked on him in a very similar way, like he worked on the brothers, but also in a different way, if that makes any sense. And so I'm going to get straight to our first point. Our first point is this. Sometimes God will make you desperate. Can you say desperate? Okay, so we've all heard these trite little phrases that we all use with good intentions, but sometimes these phrases still fall short during our troubled times. For instance, have you ever said this? When God closes a door, he always opens a window. And that might be comforting a little bit, but what happens when all the doors slam shut on your fingers, when all the window, the window that's actually open, has a hundred foot drop to the ground? Not really comforting, is it? And I think that's how Jacob felt in this account. That sometimes there are no doors open, there are no windows open in our lives, but God, he does it intentionally because sometimes he wants us to feel it and he wants us to, make us, he wants us to be desperate. 
Turn to your neighbor and say, God wants you to be desperate. Now the Lord used several things to drive Jacob to the ground, and some of these things were used to awaken the consciences of the brothers too in the previous chapter. Look, we know, what was the, main, what was the natural disaster that was happening at that time? The famine, right? Well, God, he used that on Jacob as well. You see, when the sons returned from Egypt with food, there was undoubtedly some sense of relief. They're saying, yes, we're not going to starve to death right now. We're not going to die just yet. But the thing about famine is this, is that it didn't seem to end because before long, the food was all gone. All the food that they brought from Egypt was all gone. And the only hope was for them to go back head back all the way to Egypt to go buy some more food. And so we read in verse 2, Jacob telling his sons to return. Now here's the thing. Now, natural disasters aren't the only things that God uses to bring people to, the, to an end of themselves. Whether they're natural disasters like Hurricane Katrina or the tsunami in Japan or Indonesia or wars in the Middle East or in Africa, in every case, the victims are totally helpless before these horrible events. But God, he uses these things to make us desperate and to drive us to the edge. But the thing is, here in this passage, it wasn't just a famine that drove Jacob to the edge. It was also the man. The man. Who's the man? Y'all boys like, I'm the man. No, that's how Jacob's sons referred to this unknown prime minister, Egyptian commander ruler who controlled all the food. In other words, Joseph. Now it's been weeks, maybe even months since they last faced him, but the brothers, they were still kind of shaking in their boots when they were thinking about him because they understood and they knew all about Joseph, the man's unbending, difficult, harsh words. Now in verse 2, the way Jacob phrased his words, this father, the way he phrased his words to his sons, it was like as if he's saying, sons, let's go, you can slip in through this massive empire and just grab some food. It's like, it's like when my wife says, honey, before you come home, can you just go pick up some milk? But the brothers, they knew better because they understood the situation was nothing like that at all. This wasn't some just drive in, stop by the convenience store, pick up a couple stuff, drive back home. No, no. You see, in verse 5, they said, For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Don't even try to come into my land unless your brother is with you. You will not even get my attention unless your brother is with you. You will starve to death unless your brother is with you. And Jacob was like, hey, can you just go get some food and just bring some back? I'm starving. We're running low on grain. Unless your brother is with you. Now, that's the last thing Jacob was going to do, right? There was no way he was going to send his youngest son, Benjamin, all the way down to Egypt. And he made that perfectly clear in the last verse of chapter 42. Jacob said this. He said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you will bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. But like it or not, there was no option for Jacob. You see, the door was shut, and so was the window, because the man had drawn the line in the sand. This was it. One option, you got to go, or it was death by starvation for his entire people. And folks, sometimes God will put us in that same kind of circumstance. 
that no matter how strongly we feel about something, no matter how much we know we don't want to do it or be a part of it or give into it, someone or something just is standing in the way, someone or something we cannot control, some authority in our lives, some figure who will not bend, who will not negotiate. It might be an actual person like the man was to the brothers. Maybe for you it's your wife. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your mom, your dad, your in-laws. Maybe it's your boss. These people seem to kind of control your lives, kind of dictate your lives, and they won't give you an inch. And regardless of whether they are in the right or in the wrong is actually irrelevant in this case. Because get this, behind the man, behind that figure in your life is the Lord, whether you accept that or not. Behind that man, that figure of authority in your life is the Lord. You get that? God is behind that person. Behind that unmoving and unflinching authority in your life is the Lord, and he is using that figure to drive you into desperation. He's driving you into desperation. God is sovereign. Do you believe that? And though you may feel like, man, life just cannot be contained right now, it cannot be enjoyed, it cannot be wonderfully experienced because of this person or this figure, know that God is using this person or using these persons to make you so desperate that it forces you to come to Him because knowing God in our desperation brings us to a greater understanding of who God is to us and who we are to Him and what He wants to do through you. And do you know that God wants to work through you? He wants to work through you. And the thing is, sometimes it's not just some natural disaster or some unbending, harsh figure. Sometimes we're confronted by those who love us the most. And that's what happened with Jacob, too. Because his son Judah finally got real with his dad and talked straight to his father by saying, I'm willing to do my best. I'm willing to do that, Dad. And I'll do my best to guarantee Benjamin's safety because ultimately... There was no choice. They had to go, and Benjamin was the golden ticket. Let's just say it was pretty tense, though, their exchange. In fact, in verse 8, Judah says this, Send the boy with me. We will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and our little ones. In other words, he's saying this, Look, Dad, I'll take care of Benjamin. I will do my best to guarantee his safety, but we have to go back and we have to bring food back so that you won't starve, so that I won't starve, and so that our children won't starve. This is kind of a no-brainer, Dad. We got to go. We have to do this. We have to take Benjamin. And Jacob, he didn't take too kindly to this conversation, this little exchange, maybe just even this rebuke, so he lashes out. And we get down to verse 6 where Jacob, who was not liking any part of this conversation, says, why did you have to tell him that you had a brother? You, you divulged too much information, you numbskull. Why did you do that? Or in the previous chapter, he says, everything is against me. Woe is me, woe is me. My life is just horrible right now. How could this be? Look, God may be using a dear family member of yours or a dear friend of yours to confront you, to press you about things you don't want to think about, things about things that you don't want to address. And God, he uses people like them to press us against the wall sometimes until we are desperate in our situation because the truth is this. The truth is oftentimes you and I, we've grown so numb to our problems. 
We've grown numb to our sin issues, haven't we? It's no longer become too big of a problem. Things that once were so black and white are now in the gray area. And so we kind of throw it off as something that's not a big deal or something that we're simply hoping we could run away from or something that we could just simply ignore and hope that it doesn't exist or, or, or uh, no longer exists. But God, he doesn't, he doesn't work that way. God, he puts people in our lives to sometimes forcefully confront us about the issues that we've got. Have you had that? Is there someone in your life who confronts you about the problems in your life? Now, why was God doing this to Jacob? What was the purpose behind all this? Was God some mean old bully with a magnifying glass, loving, frying all his creation? Uh-uh. God was not just trying to hurt Jacob. He's not trying to destroy Jacob. This man, Jacob, is someone that God made these amazing promises to. God loved Jacob. Turn to your neighbor and say, God loves you. Turn to your neighbor and say, he won't destroy you. Here's the thing. God doesn't want Jacob to be alone. You know? Why do I say that? I say that because here in the text, that's what Jacob is crying and lamenting about. He's saying, Joseph is gone. I'll... I'm alone. Now, if you take Benjamin, and I don't think you, even you guys will return, I will be totally bereaved. I'll be orphaned in a sense. All my loved ones will be gone. And God, he doesn't want that for Jacob. In fact, God wants Jacob to be unbereaved. Meaning this, rather than mourning for the possible loss of Benjamin, God wants to do something supernatural. He wants to do something miraculous. God wants to bring back Joseph from the dead. You know that. He wants to bring back Joseph from the dead. But in order for him to do that, before he can do that, there is something in Jacob's life that needs to be broken. And what was that? What was Jacob's problem that God was addressing time and time again? You see, it was the idolatry of his life. It was the idolatry of his children. Life without Joseph, my boy. Life without Benjamin, my boy, was not worth living for Jacob. They were Jacob's idols. You see, Rachel was his idol. Jacob was Leah's idol. After the death of Rachel, Joseph and Jacob became his idol. I'm sorry, Joseph and Benjamin became Jacob's idol. Benjamin, here he is, the only idol left in Jacob's life. And the, and the, and the other brothers are saying, we got to take him. We got to take him. God will not allow our idols to rest comfortably in the center of our lives. Know that. If there's something that has become an idol in your life, sooner or later, maybe it's happening right now, God will do something in you. He will work in you. He will rock you because you are his. You are his. If God hasn't, he will do something similar to you and me. I don't know what pressures you're feeling right now. I don't know. But I do know all of us get stressed out sometimes. But why does God allow it? Is he trying to also just hurt you like like we think he's trying to hurt Jacob? Of course not. 
God uses these circumstances to drive us to desperation and abandon all things because surrendering to God is the only way to release ourselves from the grasp of the idols of our lives. If you have idols in your life, the best way is not to simply stomp on the idols. No, the best way to remove these sin issues is to love God more. The best way to remove these idols is to fall back and surrender yourself to the Lord all the more. The, you know, the idea of self-sufficiency, you've heard that expression? Self-sufficiency is actually a myth. We are not self-sufficient. Yeah, you may work hard and you may have pulled yourself up from the bootstraps and you're where you're at right now, financially stable, you're doing well, you have your diplomas. But here's the thing, anyone can do that. Anyone can do that. Anyone can work hard. You, that's not being self-sufficient. Pulling yourself up, doing well. You know what that's called? That's being smart and not lazy. That's it. Right? Self-sufficiency is when we think we're right with God because of something we've done. That we've got the almighty power and almighty brilliance to determine how we're spiritually doing. And when we think we're self-sufficient in that sense, then we allow idols to creep in. Idols of pride, idols of material gain, idols of pleasure, idols of meritocracy. But all those things are not helpful. In fact, they're deadening to our souls because it continues to give off the notion that we are in control, that we can do what we please, and that if we get what we want and work hard for, then we will somehow be satisfied and then we can pat ourselves on the back listen to the words of God in Revelation chapter 3 verse 17 he says this you say I am rich you say I have everything I want you say I don't need a thing and you don't even realize that you are wretched that you are miserable that you are poor that you are blind and that you are naked you get that self-sufficiency makes you think that you are rich and that you've got it all and that you've got no worries and that you're fine but in reality God says uh-uh you may have everything materialistically or worldly sense but no you are blind you are so blind and you don't even know how wretched you are and how miserable you are and how poor you are and how blind and naked you are and so sometimes in order to awaken ourselves to the reality of our true deep root problems like the issues of self-sufficiency or the issues of idolatry God will break you and he will make you desperate he will make you desperate and he'll use any means necessary in order to deliver us all from it to him so what are we called to do then? What happens when we have no place to return? No place to run? When the windows are shut and the doors are slammed closed? This goes to our second and final point. We must abandon ourselves to God. Abandon yourself. Turn to your neighbor and say, abandon yourself to God. <clears throat> You've heard that expression, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? In a practical sense, if you're like me and you hate taking multiple trips to the car for your groceries, you'll try to get all the bags. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I actually went on Amazon a few years ago and I bought this really large carabiner. It's literally this big. And you can put all these bags in there. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Right? <clears throat> so I try to do that. And maybe like me, you might be successful at times, but at a cost. The bread will be kind of smushed. An egg or two might be broken. Your peaches, your fruit, 
just bruised. Trying to do it all at once must be done carefully because you'll be risking everything. Now, in a weird way, that's kind of what faith is. It's putting all your eggs in one basket, risking everything. There's no safety net. Faith is this, abandoning yourself to God completely. Completely. And that's exactly what Jacob finally did. Let me read the verses from 11 to 14 again. So their father, Jacob, finally said to them, If it can't be avoided, then at least do this. Pack your bags with the best products of this land. Take them down to the man as gifts, balm, honey, gum, aromatic resin, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Also take double the money that was put back in your sacks as it was probably someone's mistake. Then take your brother, go back to the man. May God Almighty give you mercy as you go before the man so that he will release Simeon and let Benjamin return. But if I must lose my children, so be it. He's like, this is it. I have no other option. I guess this is what I have to do. This is, these are all the eggs in his basket. All the best products of the land as a gift to the man. He said, take double amount of silver, which was return. And then he says, take Benjamin, your little brother, the heart of my heart, my passion, my joy, the apple of my eye. Take him, take everything else. This is all I got. I got nothing else to give. Now, Jacob, he had no clue what would happen. You and I, we know, because we read the story. So maybe for you, this whole idea, story that's, that's kind of working out, it's not, it's not that big of an issue. But remember, Jacob, he never learned what actually happened to Joseph. Simeon was gone, and his brothers show up with lots of extra money, and he's like, this, sounds, this looks really suspicious. And I mean, he had Benjamin, something to live for, but now they're taking him away too. And so now he's watching them go down the road. And he won't hear from them for weeks. Can you imagine the father's heart? Yeah, I'll tell you, even as a dad, sometimes when, even, when I don't get to see my kids for one day, and I only get to see them in the evening because I leave early in the morning, in my office, sometimes I'll just randomly whip out my iPhone and just look at the album. You know, pictures I took like yesterday, you know? There's a very real possibility that Jacob will never see any of them again. So what does, so what exactly does Jacob have to cling on to now? He's like, I can't cling on to my children anymore. I can't cling on to the wealth and to my reputation and to my patriarchal status anymore. None of this is, it means anything anymore. What can he cling on to now? Only one thing. And we hear him clinging in, in verse 14. He says, may God Almighty give you mercy. I've got nothing else but my hope in God. I've got nothing else but my hope in God and in God's mercy. What is your hope and what are you clinging on to today? And this is such an interesting choice of words in this section. Now, here's the thing. Follow me with this. You remember that Jacob's name was changed when he wrestled with the Lord, right? God gave him a different name. Gave him the name Israel, which meant the one who in his weakness prevailed with God. And so throughout these chapters, we see Jacob acting like Israel or acting like his old Jacob self. Like his old Jacob self. He was acting faithless. He was acting like the mischief. He was acting like the deceptor, right? And so God, he said, you know what? At this point, all the texts were calling Jacob, Jacob. But then here, in this, even in his last chapter, we see this. The text calls him Israel. No longer just Jacob. Israel. The new covenant name given by God. Why? 
Because in this part, Jacob was finally acting in faith again. He was surrendering the idols of his children. He was abandoning himself to God. But not only that, what we really need to take note of here is the name by which God is called. He is called what? God Almighty. The Hebrew name is El Shaddai. Can you all say El Shaddai? That's the same name God gave himself when he made a covenant with Jacob's grandfather Abraham. That's also the same name Jacob's father Isaac used when he blessed Jacob. And that's the same name God called himself when he renewed that ancient vow, that ancient covenant with Jacob at Bethel. You see, through this huge ordeal of having lost Jacob, or having lost Joseph, and now at the brink of starvation, watching the rest of his children go and leave and potentially never return again, could you imagine the type of duress he was going through? Could you imagine losing your own children, losing your own babies, losing your legacy, losing your family, the potential extinction of your entire clan to starvation? This was a lot for Jacob, and yet despite all that, Jacob remembers one single thing, who God is. He is El Shaddai. He is almighty. And though I lose everything else, I have God. And I have to depend on his mercy. Jacob has committed to put all his eggs in the basket of God's covenantal promises. Jacob has completely abandoned himself to the Lord. And folks, this is what God is calling us to do today as well. You know, the rich young ruler in Mark 10 loved his stuff. And he just couldn't part with it. Even though the king of kings and the Lord of Lord appeared before him and told him that the way of eternal life was to go sell everything he had, everything he owned, give it to the poor, and to come follow him. The young, rich ruler could not do it. He could not give up his former life. You see, that's another way of saying we must abandon ourselves to God. This isn't just about giving up something you're possessive about. This is a call to discipleship that Jesus repeatedly issued then and continues to issue to us all today. In Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Who are you following today? What are you being discipled under today? So what's the lesson for us? What did God say to Jacob that he's saying to us today? He's saying this, abandon yourself. Take up the cross, follow Jesus, follow the Lord God Almighty, follow and trust completely in El Shaddai. Put all your eggs in this basket. So yes, yeah, sometimes in order to abandon our determination to seek our own way and do things on our own, God will bring people, God will bring circumstances that will rock us to the core and make us desperate. But those circumstances where the doors and windows of options seem shut tight teaches us this one amazing truth that we are not God and teaches us to no longer just look for a way out but to look up. Today, if you want to know him for the first time, which, by the way, I had the immense joy of leading a brother to Christ yesterday, our brother Lane, there he is. He came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Can everyone give a big round of applause? <laughs> Praise God. It was a complete abandonment of, you know what? I am, I am imperfect, 
but I recognize that God is perfect. I cannot do it by my own strength, but I realize that God has done everything with his, by giving me his son, Jesus Christ. You see, if you want to know him today, or if you want to draw closer to him today, the only way is to abandon yourself, is to surrender your life, is to surrender your heart, is to surrender your sins and your hopes and your fears, is to surrender and give up your failures and your marriage even, to give up and relinquish your children, your jobs, your unemployment, your bank account, your health, and your sickness. You see, it is to give up everything and lay it at the foot of the cross. It is only there in that position of humility that you will truly see the grace of Jesus Christ and see his amazing work working through you. This is an extremely difficult process for Jacob, but guess what? He finally understood that this is the only way to get God's covenantal blessing. And for you and I today, this is an extremely difficult process for us today as well. But know this, it is the only way for us to truly know the blessings of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you want that? Let's pray. Let's just take this time and, man, what's God saying to you right now? Jacob had the issue of, or sin issue of idolatry. I think many of us also face idolatry too. For him, it was his children. And God had to not only take away the first one, but also the second one. To finally get Jacob to become Israel and how was he, and when was he named Israel? It was when he was on his knees in humility and in desperation. And that's when God began to work in him. May for us too, there's something that he had to give up. And it's hard to give it up when we're at the top. So maybe God is doing something by using someone or a potential uh, situation in your life to make you desperate, to break you down. Don't ignore that. Don't be flippant with it. Don't say, that's just, it's just life. Whatever will be, will be. God is speaking to you and he's speaking as loud and as clearly as possible. Don't plug your ears. Don't numb your hearts. But open your mind, open your hearts, open your eyes to him. Let's take a moment and pray. Just seek God. There's nowhere else to go right now. There's no other agenda. Just take this time. Because this time will not come tomorrow. You know it. You're busy. You got a schedule. Take this time right now in humility and in deep repentance. Say, God, this is what I'm dealing with. Take this away from me. It has, it has divided my attention. It has taken my affections from you. And I am a slave to this sin. I am a slave to this idol in my life. And I know it's not right. It's not good. It's keeping me away from you. Will you pray today? Let's pray.